Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to FinTV. Uh, we've got a special guest here today, Torsten Mabes, who is the passionate supply chain coach, uh, is going to be talking to us about a number of different topics around the supply chain. Torsten, thank you so much for joining us. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, you and uh, why you are so passionate about supply chain? Okay, thank you very much, Maria, and I'm happy to join in FinTV. Um, yeah, I'm a passionate supply chain coach based upon my experience. So I'm a trained forwarding agent um, and working in the chemical industries uh, for almost 20 years now in different functions with different companies. And so I was running through all the steps within the supply chain from operation procurement via uh, master planning, then being head of supply chain in one company and head of supply chain in the next one. My last position is global manager integrated business planning where I was supposed to train the people conceptual based upon my experience how to approach planning how to um, improve decision taking and um, that's exactly one of the points where it came up that I have a passion about these things because I have looked into all those functional silos along the chain I understand each of them and I can approach approach them from outside in and tell them what I think we should improve, listen to the people, um, what they think, and then just add my experience. And the experience is really, I've been working for four different chemical industry companies so far, including healthcare business. So uh, I see every one of them is doing it professionally, but different. So I have best practices sharing in my own. And um, sitting on your know-how, that's nothing with me. I love really to share. So therefore I started joining conferences as a speaker, because I have a passion of sharing things and developing people. Um, I oftentimes did that. I changed the department structures um, completely within one year, a big department for almost 30 people. We changed from functional silo to a value stream organization, brought in team leads, um, promoted people, and then we saw it running and, and the people were just of a certain way being passionate as I did. And that's the feedback I got. So I said, okay, Seems to be I'm a passionate supply chain coach, and here I am. Yeah. Well, that that's that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you you obviously have a wealth of experience, and you've seen quite a lot of things. I bet you've seen what's worked, what's not worked. Uh, we're obviously in the middle of crisis. We're middle of uh, something that has uh, really either exposed the cracks in some supply chains, or perhaps highlighted the supply chains that work. What's your opinion of? Uh, what the function, what the, the supply chain leader is going through right now? I think it's not the supply chain leaders uh, supposed to doing something right now. It is the company leaders because the supply chains, they reflect uh, the deployment of a company strategy. So mm -hmm. supply chain are as good as the company strategy is deployed respectively, how the company um, is thinking in what time zones. So if you're a quarterly thinking company because you're massively driven by stock exchange on a quarterly basis, then a good supply chain head, he wants to 
increase his supply chain um, effectiveness maybe for one year because you have a long chain, but you can't because you need to optimize inventory based on quarterly KPIs. And I think that is the point where I think the companies now should take that opportunity and there's opportunity in at the moment um, the leaders are at home nobody is allowed to travel um, you can meet your people you can talk to them and then you can start thinking about okay what should we do now for the point after the crisis not talking about the crisis in reactive mode which is everybody in now oh they close down we close down because everybody's closing down now start thinking about what will happen after the crisis, how can we compete when business picks up again? Because there you will have the possibility of competitive advantage. If you're the one who's prepared and the business is back, then yeah, you can outrun competition. That's what I believe. And therefore, first step, the company leaders and for sure the supply chain experts, they will follow. Yeah? That's sometimes my experience also um, supply chain leaders oftentimes or sometimes kept between hammer and anvil. Not with every company, so don't get me wrong, there's really companies thinking in 10 years, five years ahead and so on, um, doing very good jobs, but there's more than enough um, still old fashioned, which now have the opportunity to rethink that, to take the time talking to the people, meet the people over the way we doing it now, um, and then just uh, get started from here. Take your people along with you and, and um, show what goes and what not. That's what I believe. You've um, you've mentioned a very important part, which is the people element uh, part. So again, we're in a crisis. Supply chain leaders, as well as business leaders, are very busy firefighting, very busy adjusting. And uh, so, how do you prepare your teams uh, to take a look at a bigger picture view? Well, the first point is um, the firefighting is the question. Um, is everybody even in the top management supposed to be a firefighter or can we leave it to uh, the, the team level, those people who are knowing it um, best because they are in the front. Right? They are the front end and we only need to back them up and then we should say, okay, let's take a step back, maybe once mm -hmm. a week or something like that. Okay, what's coming next? What's after that? Start thinking in scenarios to think about what if these topics we now challenge and firefight work yeah what if they don't work um, what are the alternatives and that's where you can just start thinking about and ask the people and, and this needs to come up top down more and more to the department heads in the supply chain and i'm sure a lot of good supply chain leaders and we have fantastic people in the network and all the companies they have a lot of ideas for sure and if they ask even their teams then you can put that bottom up well, i think that is the opportunity you have at the moment so building teams that are forward thinking, that are looking at scenario planning or modeling uh, is something that's going to be imperative to get out of the current crisis that we're in. Prepare. Is that right? Yeah, we don't get out of the crisis we're in. That is just accept that it is. Yeah? Um, maybe I have prepared a small thing. We are still yeah. not reached the peak. Yeah? As soon yeah. as we are on the peak, we will be really the utmost down here. The question yeah. is, the V, that's what the, yeah. the experts talk about. Business is picking up fast. Mm -hmm. So every company leader must be highly alert to say, okay, it's picking up fast. So I can't waste my time thinking an operations hectic because we're currently on the downward trends. 
I'm the strategic person. I'm paid for strategic thinking. I need to think what to do when it picks up again and then being prepared. And I really believe those who are start thinking in this way, they outrun the competition. Maybe just think about, okay, forget about 2020. How do we think 21 should look like and let's prepare for. So do you think, do you think, sorry to interrupt, do you think people were prepared? I mean, it's, it's, this is the million dollar question. Do you think people were prepared for what was coming? No. Many not. I think we currently see the differences between the companies who have been prepared and where we don't see operations hectic versus companies um, who have not been prepared. A lot of opera uh, global healthcare uh, and, and health organizations, they reported for the last couple of years that this kind of things were coming. After the last SARS, they said, okay, there will be somewhere in time something coming that will really go pandemic around the world. And this could have been prepared, but that's what we see, or maybe tend to, to the quarterly thinking or in the Western world, maybe we wait and we, oh, might be not happening with us because we are not used to um, just to, to take consequences immediately. Um, I just heard some interview with a family in, in Japan, in German uh, radio. Um, they shut down schools weeks ago. Everybody's wearing masks, uh, staying at home or maybe going in the green. They even go to a museum, but um, they wash their hands. They trained the kids washing hands in the school before they have shut down. And they said every kid is having a tablet and um, online school is not a problem. So they were prepared. They had, it's, a, it's a question of mindset. And we were waiting and now we are shutting down because we are not really prepared it's just a reactive mode and mm -hmm. so, so at, at the moment we're going to be in reactive mode for quite yeah. some time so the role of the people that are planning within an organization the supply chain planners uh, what should they be focusing on now they should be focusing on um, what potential do we have for the time after the crisis and on one hand what is the capacity of an inventory storage? So a lot of companies like in the chemical industries, they cannot shut down the plants. They maybe run on the minimum level, but um, you need to check where are the capacities in the warehouses uh, because others are not coming. Um, so you can maybe get an easier rent of a warehouse space uh, because the warehouse mm -hmm. operations lacking business. So there's opportunities in to think, okay, what could be products we should ramp up because if it picks up like a V I've shown, then um, you have the inventory there. Okay, forget the KPI on the quarterly base. This year, um, we see that the old fashioned models don't work anymore. So, and, and the planners then can propose some of these things and for sure the management has to decide. That's integrated business planning, by the way, yeah? really to prepare best um, for the pos potential scenario coming up and then take a decision, even if it is not 100% fitting to the situation in the end, but you were able to steer and to take decision. And the psychological effect is if the leaders take decision, you put confidence in your people, they will stay on board, they will not go mad because shutting down and we're talking about cutting salaries and things, the people get more and more afraid. Uh, they are afraid to lose their jobs, they're afraid of everything. And then I think as leaders, if we say, please plan, let us know what are your ideas and we take decisions, you get the people motivated on board to continue. Yeah? So with regards to the, the planning and the, you know, everything that's been going on, do you think, because I've, I've heard this with other podcast guests, that some of the previous methodology, business models that have been driven by cost reduction, 
have created the kind of scenario right now which will be difficult to recover from? That's question number one. And question number two, do you think that this situation offers an opportunity to change business models? Um, number two, yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, starting with number one, first, um, Yes, the, the cost-driven aspects to uh, minimize inventory on just-in-time level or, uh, like I said, in chemical industries, we have sometimes chains which are extremely long. So um, I can't react as of a sudden. No? We have a very long chains, for example, four to five months from purchase of raw material until the finished good is on the shelf. Sometimes production processes take two months to have the finished good ready. So if things happen like that, um, the chain is filled and it's not that flexible. But the cost-driven aspect is on quarterly basis because of some rating agency or whatsoever or bonus system from top managements, then inventory cuts meant we cut down something as of a sudden, then um, the long-term relationship to the supplier has been cut or switched to another one. So this short-term and quarterly optimization based on cost and KPI is really um, yeah, driving this in a certain point, but only with the companies who have to, done this to an uh, extent to, to, to massively. Yeah? maybe and and that's what i i think so there's potential in to change this to say okay what do we need really to be sustainable to be not that risky at the moment um, so long-term relationships with the supplier not every quarter changing to another one just for the sake of getting the next five cent down but you see what happens then you're off and maybe the supplier uh, switches to another one. Um, a long-term relationship is a win-win situation in the end. The supplier um, is happy to be on board with you for one year contract or two year or something like that. And then um, also can better plan his chain with his supplier. So we need to think along the value chain and not just for my company and just my goods entry, but a little bit ahead of that. I had the opportunity to talk to the COO of, of Volvo in November on a conference. It's Nils Oppelstrup. Um, he's an automotive, he's a car, OEM. Huh? And, um, but I'm in base chemical industry. So I said, yeah, we have long chains, six months, and maybe you already know um, if a certain car model, a certain color um, becomes um, active or you have already planned the scenario, but we don't know. And we can't react that fast. And you ask your customer in the end to wait three months because I need to fly in the raw material, not to purchase via sea freight. So we also have a carbon dioxide footprint topic here. So if we get those informations, how they think, how their scenarios and, and, and drivers are just along the value chain, then we all can work together. We all would benefit. And I think that is something the current crisis might show that we really need to collaborate along the value chain. Like Amazon thinks about best customer experience. They don't want to be the largest book store, never mm -hmm. ever. They only wanted to be the best customer experience company. And that's what we all might can learn and, and rethink the current models. So it's so this this offers us the opportunity to rethink the current models, maybe to rethink team structures as well. Uh, you know, rethink yep. the way that uh, the drivers, uh, so focus less on quarterly basis, look at more the big picture view. Is, is that kind of what you're saying? Not only the big picture view, but maybe more collaborative 
like in the modern um, social media, if a CEO of a company puts um, article, everybody can comment on it and he gets a like or a dislike and even the CEO will comment back to your comment. So if you treat each other with respect in social media, it works. But in companies, you won't dare to talk in this way maybe with your own CEO because we oftentimes within a company have the old hierarchical thinking and models and maybe there's a time to overcome that, to see, okay, everyone is having a potential and we are coming more and more in situation that experts becoming uh, a value asset because worldwide getting people uh, who are knowledgeable is uh, more and more a challenge. And that is now the time to, to rethink that or maybe to come back to old uh, management um, philosophers like Peter Drucker. He always said the, the leadership or the management is the, the basic for the team. Uh, so he put the pyramid upside down. And that's exactly where we should start rethinking to use those potentials and even thinking in this way, also along the chain with automotive car back to the base chemicals. This also offers a response towards all those um, activists for economy, uh, for, for environment, like Greta Thunberg and all mm -hmm. those young people. Yeah, there's the potential also to give a response to that. The potential lies in the supply chain of the future. Well, we can carbon dioxide optimized supply chain by, by sea freight, not by air freight, because we exchange data, we collaborate. Yeah? And that's what I believe. Do you know, every guest that I've had uh, recently on FinTV, you know, with throughout this, uh, this crisis has focused heavily on the opportunities, the unintended benefits uh, that a crisis like this can have. And without a shadow of a doubt, most of them end up at environmental impact. You know, the way that we can now build a supply chain with a, a better environmental impact, um, a supply chain that's more sustainable, maybe looking at the circular economy. Do you think that this is one of the unintended benefits or consequences of rebuilding the supply chain? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, the, that is really an unintended benefit. But you see, if you say everybody you have talked to in the last couple of days or weeks in mm -hmm. TV is referring to that shows exactly what I was uh, talking about, that the supply chain is a little bit between hammer and anvil to optimize the supply chain. And if you ask any supply chain leader, none of them would do unnecessary air freight. It is costly. It is environmental unfriendly. If it is a cheap product, a volume product, everybody would try to get it in by sea freight if it is somewhere in Asia or close to your home. So efficiency and costs and all these things, these are the core drivers of, of supply chain. So um, that's exactly the point that now maybe more listened to the supply chain people and the supply chain concepts and not, um, okay, we need to optimize the rating for the quarterly uh, finance or the dominance of the finance. This must be balanced out. I'm not saying that this is completely wrong because there's companies who are family owned being on the stocks exchange thinking in long term and have more resilient and more uh, risk um, balanced supply chains. But all the others who are just looking on these numbers they need to rethink to say, okay, the potential lies in my supply chain. Listen to those people. They already have ideas and concepts in hand. Just listen to your people. So you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Just give the experts you're paying for the expertise the room to do it. And not just... You just, you just mentioned something interesting. I just took note of that. The potential uh, of the new supply chain. 
that 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 it talk to me a little bit about that because it, it almost means like we're entering into a new era. Uh, so what is the potential of the new supply chain? The potential of the new supply chain is the different way of collaboration coming out of functional silos allow the experts to speak up in um, the expertise bringing up ideas to to scenarios and independent from the hierarchy level uh, if someone is the expertise for sea freight trading of goods then listen to his proposal he should prepare then we can decide in the management team so um, you can unleash the potential of your entire team which might optimize your entire cost structure. You will become environmental friendly with something which is already in the mind of one of your people, but uh, you have never listened to because you just have given the freedom to, to one KPI number because of some certain rating agency companies or something like that. So that is the potential. The other is also the supply chain is the potential for digital transformation. Um, that is the other topic because Collaboration in supply chain or logistics, information sharing, that is one of the core things. Or one of my colleagues uh, at one company said once, communication is the key. And um, that's what we exactly can um, cover with digital transformation. There's fantastic tools out there, fantastic uh, companies who offer systems. Um, in, in Gartner Magic Quadrant, you can see that. Also in FinTV, you had one of uh, those people. I've had, I've, both, yeah, huh? I've had several people. Yeah. Do, do, do you know, let, let me ask you, sorry, let me interrupt you briefly because I just want to make sure that we get onto this point. Um, before all this crisis hit, we were talking about digital transformation and it seems almost a bit indulgent to be talking about it right now when, you know, all of this crisis here is happening. But do you think that this crisis offers us an opportunity to really transform the business digitally, not just for the sake of cost saving. See, this no. is the thing, not just for cost saving, but do you think it offers us the possibility to really use digitization to deliver the kind of supply chains that our consumers expect uh, and uh, our businesses deserve? Absolutely. I think everybody's working from home now and the companies now experiences how good their digitalization is in reality. If they have struggled to um, talk to each other like we do and, and a lot of Skype meetings or whatsoever is imbalanced and then say, okay, uh, where are the data? Um, and to get them together, the data, um, they prepare a lot of Excel sheets and PowerPoints and things still. So that is not digitalization. And I think it becomes more relevant to work together on remote, to have the topics on point. And this really shows then um, still the potential. And for myself, I don't believe that Digitizing is not digital transformation. Um, it's just the first step. Uh, you need to implement a system who's able to gather all your data to get faster your data because the world becomes more complex. And if we are uh, in situations like we are now, it would be great to have data on one press button and um, just calculate the scenarios and alternatives with all those prescriptive analytics and KI and machine learning. Nobody has completely unleashed these potentials yet. So the data should be available just in time for my decision taking, but I still need the people to take the decisions. That's the one point. And also people who are able to manipulate all these systems. And that is, um, therefore I'm saying at the moment, if you're not achieved that level, push your people into SNOP or IBP meetings. And if they have to prepare PowerPoint presentations and they don't like it, 
make it a habit. They must go through that. Huh? If you then come with a system, you will um, unleash their free time and potential for decision taking, and they will love it because you take away all those PowerPoint and these things. Huh? But planning, go through the planning, make it a habit to think about these kind of things, and then put a digital system in place, and then you're having achieved the next step. The digital transformation comes as soon as those people learned how to handle the system and start recreating the existing world and transforming it into something new. That's digital transformation. If the people start manipulating the tools and say, okay, we can do it different, perfect. We have this now on hand, let's do it. And as soon as they manipulate the digital world, that's the digital transformation, nothing else. Otherwise it's just, you have some digital tools, um, but maybe you're not able to use it. They are not connected. And that's the other point. The cloud technologies, edge technologies, there's so many fantastic things now out there. You don't need a big ERP system and waste one hour, um, uh, one year, sorry, so you need to cut that. Um, you don't need to waste one year in implementing master data to get your system running. Just implement on, on cloud base and uh, look into what do you need. Uh, if I need something else for demand planning via cloud, I can connect it. There's even companies who offer this kind of connecting your world and then reach out to your customer, your suppliers, if they have the same, otherwise you need to connect between and then you can connect and yeah, build your world, your future inside network uh, to, to put it in that way, um, and not just one single source of system. That's not more needed. So you can tailor yeah, you, it for yourself. Yeah? Shape you, it. You, no, no. It, obviously, this is again another another unintended benefit. You know, the possibility to really get digital transformation projects uh, done correctly. Um, I think again, going back to let's say the end of last year when we were talking about digital transformation projects, they, the end in mind was to give more visibility, was to reduce costs, was to some companies, I won't name them, but some companies were digitizing for the sake of making sure that they were catching up with everybody else. Because if you didn't digitize, if you didn't have a robot, if you didn't digitize, then you weren't modern. Um, but now the possibilities are in uh, moving from functional silos to value stream uh, organizations. Now the possibilities are with uh, absor understanding all the mountains of data that are out there to actually be able to plan effectively. Would you agree with that? Yes, but what is the, the um, driver behind in the end? It's the customer and this yes. we should not forget. And oftentimes, around supply chain and planning, we talk about uh, silos or battles between departments, forget about that. And that's exactly the point. And that's maybe the um, why Amazon is so um, aggressively, but also positively. I'm a customer of them. As soon as I have an issue, I um, put in something via my laptop, oh, it's not working. I get a call five minutes later yeah, with that big company. So customer experience, the customer, in, in putting in front and those who understand that um, they will win these battles because uh, getting networked, everybody is a customer in the end, uh, satisfy the customer will bring in um, satisfaction into your company and supply chain, any supply chain which is optimized by the experts will bring in synergy effects. I believe in um, that the involvement of the effective supply chain, then you can create a KPI to steer it in the right way, but not vice versa. You don't establish a financial KPI and then say, and now we need to fit our system and processes towards achieving this to ensure 
um, the bonus of some stocks exchange managers or something like that. They even will benefit from, you see it with Elon Musk, he was believing it um, in his Tesla car and uh, he was beaten bloody in, in some of the last years, but now his company is high, having higher value than anybody else. So believe in these expertise, visionary people um, and the end pays out for everyone. Yeah? And that's what I really think. Yeah, yeah that, makes, that makes absolute sense. What practical advice can you give a uh, someone that is looking at integrated business planning right now as a possibility uh, within their business whilst everything is going on? What advice would you give some of these people? First of all, think about um, what is your intent? Well, start a little bit in, in design thinking. Where do you want to go? Um, means... 21 or something like that, take a time in the future and say, okay, what do I want to achieve? What is the best case for this product range, whatsoever? What do we want to have on market share? Um, prepare this thinking, this vision as good as you can, and then think about, okay, what needs to be done to go there? And then you can come from the future into the existing world now and say, here I'm standing and which steps I need to take to come closer to that, which would help then with you have a regular planning with all these scenarios, also to judge if we go this way with that scenarios and that alternative, does it bring us in the direction we intend? If yes, it's good. If not, we should take the decision to say, okay, sounds good for um, short-term optimization, but not for the long run. So I think it's just coming from that thinking. Well, I think that is the, the first way to get the people on board and also then allow discussion, uh, prepare the scenarios. It might take longer time in the beginning, listen to the people, to the proposal, and you will observe those who are really motivated and uh, where are the critical issues. So I had the opportunity to see that from outside now. Um, I'm looking into different business lines and then you can observe why some people and teams are performing much better than others. And um, we changed in one department also the functions. The people were a little bit moving and as of a sudden it rocked. Huh? So these are also the things you can um, observe, explore, and, and uh, then yeah, you have the real people on board. And Maybe don't go with big things. Uh, um, maybe one product group or just one product with the right team, with the right spirit, make a pilot, make a prototype. And if this works, the other product groups, the other people, they would love to follow because if it works and you start outrunning them, say, hey, our performance has never been as good and, and the team spirit is great, then you can go to the management to say, you see, we have a positive example. I would like to multiply. Maybe even others say, hey, I have seen it's worked with them. Why not with us? So that is sometimes from the small to the large and not vice versa. You, you mentioned how you've had the opportunity to take a look at a number of different things that work. What works well? That in your experience, what have you seen that works well and what have you seen that works really badly? Um, what works well is getting the things inside out with the team. Also, what do you mean by that inside out? Inside out to, to have a good team, good people and listen to them to say, okay, this is the intent, uh, what we want to do. That is the other part perfect um, support by the management. So clear direction from management. If the management is not on board, you can't move anything. Huh? And if the direction is there, then getting hold of the people to say, okay, that is the direction, but we don't want to push you. We want 
to ask you to shape it along with us. And this is uh, working perfect well. If you just step up and say, okay, now you need to do SNOP up from next month, please plan scenarios um, because so far it was just shit. It's just information sharing. Nothing works because the people are not used to. Uh, so you need to give them the time to develop that and also um, to come on board. Yeah, we are talking about people and mindset and a mindset change is the most uneasiest thing. Uh, a system and, and data are put in place that is simple in my belief, but um, I think to change the mindset of the people, if you onboard them, it works. And if you don't onboard them, they either, um, there's a certain resistance or they leave the company or they um, yeah, do something against it, which is not also uh, helpful. Well, you, you touched upon a, a particular subject that's very interesting to me, uh, which was the, uh, the fact that a lot of companies tend to view digital transformation as a technological uh, advancement or as, as, as though technology is going to be the, the answer to all of the, uh, the problems. You know, if I just implement this kind of software or if I implement this kind of technology, then all things are solved. But then they do so based on flawed business processes or based on a team of people that don't understand the reasoning behind it and they don't take them with them. Um, what's your view on this with regards to the new crisis we live in now? How important is it to make sure your business processes are right for the future and that your team is with you? It's absolutely important because the system itself and the data, it is there, but how to interpret that data huh? and how to ensure that the data is right. Uh, the experts is your people. Um, the KI and machine learning will be able to do more and more for sure and take away a lot of uh, jobs we all might not like, but at the same time, we need the people to take the decision and to grow together with the KI and machine learning. So I really believe the more we put in via the people, you need to transform or to, to transfer the know-how from the people into KI and machine learning. That's where it's coming from, more or less, in the end. Then the system is able to um, provide the data much faster than we humans will be doing ever, huh? for sure. However, the decision taking, the steering of these things, we don't do KI for the sake of KI, but we do it for the sake of our business, for the sake of our customers, and the decision taking is still with us. And so the people need to understand this. You need to train your people and um, to better develop uh, KI further. So I think to have the best algorithm, the best drivers in future, that might differentiate you from the rest of your competition yeah? because everybody will use KI. But the system or the technology itself is, is, is nothing. We need to use mm -hmm. it, sit upon it, and grow it together with it. Now, that's what I believe. I had a very good training recently in, a, in Germany in strategic thinking. And um, it's called Leaders Vision Day, where I was trained in exactly thinking about these things. And the trainer, he mentioned that KI, for example, can be able in machine learning, can use um, cancer disease topics if you have cancer, something like that, you go to the doctor, uh, then he says, oh, I have 30 years experience and it's, I'm, I'm sure you have this or that. However, um, I want to talk to the doctor, but if there's KI potential, he might press a button and the system can search with all the diagnose, uh, what is around the world available and what is the best therapy for you. And the doctor will help you to get that therapy but he can use KI and that's exactly the point. You, we, we need to balance human 
with KI. Yeah? I want to have the best therapy because I want to live. And that's exactly, we want to live and to survive as a company and maybe um, battle with competition and outrun them. Yeah? So I think that's exactly the point where you will always need uh, people and um, the technology. We can grow with that. Well, the possibilities of artificial intelligence are based on what we can make happen at the moment, you know, how, how we can enable it to be uh, possible. Um, so one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past as well has been your passion for um, diverse teams. Uh, and, and I'm not talking about just gender diversity. I'm talking about age diversity, diversity from different backgrounds. Uh, what's your experience with that? And, uh, you know, have they added value? Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about what you've done. You're just surprising me. You have a very good memory. It's almost one year ago we talked about that. Wow. Um, yes, indeed. I, I really believe in um, mixed teams, even um, independent from, from gender. Huh? Uh, but fortunately, I have promoted a lot of ladies throughout my career, young as well as old. Um, I think it's just to see the attitude of a person, to say, okay, I believe you can do more in asking that person and offering um, an opportunity. But also the point with the mixed teams. I have mixed in one department in the past, some years ago, a very old guy who um, was close to I just go home and do my job. And we were able to motivate him, um, um, not just because it was a long, young lady sitting in, in front of him, but there was decades between the two of them. He has really exact, excellent product know-how. He knew everything. And she was able to run with the modern systems and um, how to approach different things in excellent PO and whatsoever. And they became a fantastic team because they were able to exchange. He felt a little bit like a father. And, and that is also transformation of um, know-how into the new world. Yeah? You just cannot do it by clicking a button. And this um, I've done several times, asking someone or um, giving the opportunity to listen to what could be improved to change um, or maybe to consolidate functions, yeah, to enlarge and enrich um, a position of someone, a master planner being operational procurement as soon as a supply planner because um, reducing interfaces, um, then the people can show up that they can do it better. Sometimes such people complain about, yeah, I had such a great planning, but procurement is not delivering. So, okay, then please do it in one hand and let's see if you're delivering better huh? mm -hmm. or you start seeing the challenges of the other people. And um, that's what I, I see that it works, but not with everybody. It is really also a question of character and there, it is the question of how good you are able as a leader to judge if this person is able to or not. You can give him or her a chance, but it might be that um, it's not working. Therefore, you need also a little bit 360 degree feedback, asking stakeholders about that person, making your own opinion. That's leadership. Uh, that is also a task. Um, yeah. yeah. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So collaboration, again, internal collaboration as well as external collaboration is also going to help us get through uh, get through this. Lastly, last question I'm going to ask you, because otherwise you and I could sit here and talk for a long time. I don't uh, mind my time. Is, <laughs> is, is what, what, um, what advice would you give um, leaders that are in the middle of this firefighting, in the middle of this crisis? What, what, what do we need to do? I think the, the first thing is have patience. Uh, if you are as a leader, 
deploy hectic and operations hectic. Um, the people are afraid enough. Uh, they go in the supermarket and see empty shelves and uh, go crazy, but that's the wrong sign. So we as leaders should put in patience, should put in um, structured meetings, reach out to the people, talk to them, get hold of them and say, okay, be confident. The confidence is to be deployed by the leaders, I think. And um, I think that is an opportunity for the leaders to grow with their teams. Uh, call them, maybe have a private chat also, because you are now available. Sometimes, especially uh, the higher the function is or the position, uh, you're on travel and the people complain about, I never see my boss boss or something like that. Now it's opportunities there. And the same message I give to the people who are on a lower level, reach out to your boss he's now available he's sitting at home remote he's not traveling he's not on conferences there's the chance that you start building your internal network stronger uh, um, provide your ideas or feedbacks and and then um, it's an opportunity for everyone in there um, but for sure it's a leadership task to get hold of the people and say okay calm down we will give structured meetings and then going up from there like I said, maybe once per week meeting to say, okay, we have focused on operations hectic, but now let's focus maybe once per week or twice per week. What can be done? How can we achieve 21 results? What can we improve and do better? Build that up in parallel. I think you're spot on with that in terms of this. We have an opportunity now to remember that we're going to get through this crisis with the people. Uh, and whether it's from the, you know, high level leaders at the top, all the way down to the people that are working, remember that we're all in this together, not to panic, uh, and to have patience. No, thank you very much, Torsten. You have been a fantastic guest. Uh, and it is obvious that you are passionate about supply chain. So, uh, thank you. We look forward to seeing you again at, uh, one of our other, uh, events. So thank you. You're welcome. And. I thank you for that opportunity 